Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I see the potential for the growth, especially with someone like Rosa in charge. Mm. So I believe he's going to push for these big, massive TV deals, which then, you know, um, which the the former management at HQ was not so interested in. In fact, they went the opposite direction. They didn't want nothing to do with the the production. Um, I think that this sport is on a trajectory similar to UFC. And I think that we could be in a similar path to where they are in five or six years. I think UFC has 10 years on us. So I want to be at the forefront of that kind of trailblazing what's um, how athletes train to become world champions. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stop. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Good. Thank you, Patrick. Good. We are, you and I have not talked for a couple of weeks because you uh, first were kind of getting ready to go to the games and then you were at the games. And so this is our first chat post games. And so I wanted to take this opportunity slash excuse to pick your brain about uh, thoughts on this very different, this very irregular CrossFit games. Uh, what maybe what lessons you guys are pulling away from it? Where where you were surprised? Maybe where you were disappointed? A- anything and everything we can kind of get into. So it's going to be kind of a free flowing cool. um, conversation about uh, right. your reflections on the games. And so I wanted to start with the one question that I had in my mind as I was watching the games this year, and it's a question I've got th- that can be asked, I think, for any um, any and all professional sports that are currently operating, which is, in your mind, having gotten out of this season now, do we do we need to, do we want to put an asterisk on this season in the sense of like, yes, okay, we, we crown national, we crown champions, right? Just like the NBA did and the MLB and, but it, but it's not real, but it's not like the other years, mm-hmm. but it's, we've got to keep in mind mm-hmm. that it was different or in your sense, having gone through all, you know, the open certainly, and then phase one and phase two and, or stage one and stage two, do you feel like, no, this was, this was as legitimate a, a games, a test as any other year it looked different, but no reason to add an asterisk, uh, to, to the year. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, an asterisk, I would say no, mm. a footnote potentially. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what the difference is between the two of those, but (laughs) the, the reason is I feel like an asterisk is, um, this does not count. It's like Barry Mm. Bonds home run record. It was like asterisk, you know, he was on drugs. Like this was still, this was, I mean, our sport is by definition, it's, it's unknown and it's unknowable. It's constantly changing every year. The qualification process changes. Some years it's the open into regionals, into the games. Other years it's sanctionals get you in. Other years it's sectionals get you in. So 
the qualification process is not set in stone and the qualification process should continually morph. The fact that it changed this year doesn't change anything in my mind in terms of the validity of the test. Mm-hmm. Now, was it different? Like, yes, like footnote. <laughs> there was only five athletes on site for the final stage as opposed to the normal, uh, well, last year there was 10. So last year there was 10 in the final stage. So mm-hmm. it's not that big a difference from the year before that, but I get it other years there was 40. So I, I don't think that there's a necessary for um, – wait a minute, this isn't the real fittest. Also, like you look at who won yeah. and <laughs> yeah. it's pretty consistent with the the domination that's been happening in our sport as of the last four or five years. So that also speaks to the validity of the test. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, and we can get into this a little bit more in a, a different part if we want to, but you know, I talked to Dave Castro while we were there a number of times, just kind of trying to get in his ear a little bit about the games are so awesome in that location. Mm. Like it is such a burlier test at the ranch. It is raw. It is hard. It is scary. It is unknown. It is, I mean, it's literally unknowns around every corner. It's, it, it, it's so, it's such a phenomenal venue for what our sport should be representing, yeah. which is, you know, kind of they they kind of pointed to it in that last workout. This is not for everybody, mm-hmm. like at all. Like there's probably 20 people in the world that can even attempt that last workout. And the fact that it was done at the ranch in this venue, not just the last workout, but the majority of it just spoke volumes to um, the credibility of fittest on earth. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the fact it was back there and not in like this kind of tame, kind of um, controlled environment of Madison, Wisconsin in a arena or a AstroTurf field. Yeah. You know, it was um, – it's, I mean, the word that I just, it's just, I can't keep up saying it. it's, it's raw. It's yeah. real. It was cool. Right. So more, yeah, no asterisks, potential footnote. That's about m- it. Yeah. Yeah. More than once I thought about, cause I, 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 I do think there's something wonderful about the ranch and uh, aromas and not just for the history of it, but for the, for the, for the fact that the environment becomes a character in the yeah. fight and in the battle. And I think that we, you lose that when you run around a track or when you are in a stadium. And I, you know, more than once I, I thought about the, um, the Tahoe event that we did, you know, a thousand years ago at, uh, you know, the again, faster rogue Tahoe throwdown simply because it, it allowed Dave to look around and say, how can I, how can I creatively test these guys in a way that blends the, well, we consider the cross the the classic CrossFit, right? The couplets, the the barbells, the muscle ups, and all that. But test them in a way that they might not have been able to train for specifically, right? And that there's something right. interesting in there when you introduce that yes. to the to the test of you know well, who is actually the fittest. Um, 
Do you think that, do you think that there's opportunity? Cause do you think that the, what are, is kind of what you're saying or what you're thinking or kind of maybe just like hoping for is that the ranch stays the venue or is it just that like, man, this is more interesting when we're in a venue that the environment is a character, whether that's at, at yeah, Aromas it, it, it has, or, it, or somewhere else. Yeah, I love that. And I'm so excited you pointed that because I could care less about the nostalgia factor. Yeah. That means nothing to me. Like, I don't care where we go. I want the validity of the test. I want the magnitude. I want the wow factor. I want the environment to play to it. And, you know, I loved when we were in California because mm -hmm. we could go to the ocean, which has 12-foot ocean surf that the, the yeah. athletes need to navigate. And then they go to Camp Pendleton and have to climb up, uh, you know, 11K up a mountain, to up Microwave Mountain to for the longest event they've ever done. And then yep. they go to um, the military obstacle course. And then we go and it's like, I love the environment aspect of this. Yeah. And that was negated when we went to Madison. So I don't care where we go, but I want it to be, I want the test to be hard. As you said, like don't have them run around a track. Mm -hmm. That event that they did that they called Happy Star, yeah. where it was four 200 meters, but every 200 meter was different. Like yep. how cool is that? Like it's yep. so amazing. You know, I I was saying to Dave, like he's like, I know it's this amazing. I love this too. But he's like, we could never do this again mm. because of the fan factor. You can't bring 20,000 fans to the ranch. Of course, I was yeah. like, well, what if we went to – what if we went to a mountain, like a ski resort, mm -hmm. like ski resorts have parking lots. They have hotels right there on site. They have the space. They are set up for tens of thousands of people to be there. And some of these mountains have hosted Olympic events. So mm -hmm. there's, at least, if not existing stands in place, they, there's places that it's, they're not reinventing the wheel from the ground up. Yeah. I think that there needs to be this, you know, and again, like, it was super hot. <laughs> it was 90 degrees plus in the yeah. desert. It's like your throats got dry. It's, this is supposed to be, you know, I know a lot of the athletes, I was on a lot of these athlete calls during this weird time in the spring yeah. when CrossFit was going through its struggles. And these athletes were all, you know, lobbying for unions to protect the athletes. And I'm a coach in the sport. And I want nothing more than to take care of my athletes, but not at the expense of the amazingness of the test and the harshness, it should be a battle to be able to survive the whole weekend. Yeah. That is a part of it. Yep. Being the fittest means you have grit and you have staying power and you can withstand what's being thrown at you. Now, I'm not calling for irresponsible programming. Yep. If that last workout had been workout number two of the week, that's irresponsible programming because yep. they cannot continue after that workout. Then putting at the last one, has a little bit more validity in terms of the test because it was the very last thing. Mm -hmm. um, it still might have been overprogrammed, but <laughs> different, different, different discussion. Yep. I am all about. I don't care where the event is. I'm not. My heartstrings are not being pulled because of quote unquote the ranch, yep. the birthplace of the games. It's being pulled in me because of <clears throat> the test is so much better mm -hmm. when you have the environments to play with as well. Yeah. What did you, you know, one, I think there's a couple things in there that are interesting maybe to pull apart. And one of them is the finding the right balance between who is, who is the event actually for? Is it for the, whatever that number is, 20,000, 30,000 spectators? And if so, is it worth making a slightly less interesting games so that you can 
actually get those humans and the vendors and all that stuff? Or is the test for me on my couch all weekend watching, which is, I think, uh, you know, you have to make different concessions on which one of those you want it to be, right? And almost every professional sport is, you know, they they make their money not on the 15 or 20,000 people in the building. They obviously make it on on TV rights and sponsorships and all that stuff. And so do you get the sense that, or, or just in your experience in this one, because it was so different that, oh, maybe we've moved too much towards the idea of like, let's make this a, a Woodstock of fitness type thing where right. you go for the weekend, it's your vacation, it's a thing. And then if we sacrifice some things on the other end of that because it's less interesting to watch or whatever, that's okay because that's not what it's for. Um, because it was because it swung so much the other way, do you get the sense that you were able to see like, oh, what if it was more like this than it's been? Yeah, I um, I mean, as a purist, as a person that's um, you know committed a lot of their adult life to training people to be named the fittest on earth, I like the validity of the test more than the. Um, ability to showcase in, this in front of X number of thousands of fans in real life. Yep. Um, I agree with you. I think that, and if, even if you talk about the growth of the sport, like how, how much can we grow from our, whatever it is, 16,000 that they have in the Coliseum and Madison, how much more are we going to get on in person? Like, I don't know. And I think as we do that, the, the test becomes even more pigeonholed. Yeah, because now you're even a more confined area. So, I I am all for the happy medium between maybe this is um, the type of event that is, um, more like the Tour de France, hmm. right? Like the Tour de France doesn't have a hundred thousand spectators on site. There's the few thousand that line the streets. Yep, and that's made for TV. And there are the hundreds of thousands, no, scratch it, the millions of people that watch it on television. Mm-hmm. I think that there's more growth from a CrossFit HQ perspective, from a athlete brand building perspective, and from a earning potential of these guys as professional athletes and interest in the sport. If we were to try to speak to the tens of millions, which we had 11 million people watch this thing this yep. past weekend, if we were to get that from um, made this more for television, make the spectacle even bigger by limiting the in-person availability. And we try to get this thing up to a hundred million people watching it or more, but maybe it's only for 5,000 people on site. Yep. I would be all for that. I love the spectacle of it. I love the test. So I want the environment and I want, um, the difficulty that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I almost think that if they could, you know, I, I mean, whether it's sanctionals or sectionals or whatever new word we're going to invent, I do think that those might be the opportunity where you do get 10 to 15,000 people in a place and there's seven, 10, 15 of them all over the world. And that can be sort of the, the, the vendor village that can be where you get together for the weekend, whatever. And then the games themselves are, I think, more in line with what you're saying, which is they're in some strange place that only can only fit so many people. Um, and people aren't, you know, flying in and, and, you know, making it their vacation for the year. Uh, I think that, I think that could be a compromise. Or you try to find the, the, the few places in the world that actually support both, you know, so 
you go to um, like truly like a, a city that hosts an Olympics because mm-hmm. there's mountains there um, that you could do that. And then there's also the hockey arenas that seat 20,000 people. Yep. Um, and I think I know those those opportunities are limited, but, you know, Vancouver, Canada, yep. Canada, you know, Montreal, um, there they definitely exist. Yep. You know, yep. Tahoe. Tahoe, yeah. Did you get a like what it what do you think would what, what do you think is standing in the way of maybe that happening? Is it just simply that's not what they want? Is it is it is it do, uh, do you well, get the sense that it's something else? There's a there's a there's a two year deal left yep. with um, the Align Energy Center in Madison, yep. Wisconsin. So that's the first thing that's standing in the way. Um, the next is probably legacy. Um, it's the way that we've done it. Yep. So and it's grown year over year for the in real life experience. Uh, more and more people go to see it. So um, it's probably a little bit of that. And then it's the business model. Like yeah. the way that they earn their revenue is off of selling tickets and selling um, vendor spots in Vendor Village. Yep. And if there's only going to be 3,000 people there, well, there goes that. So they need to make it up then with a TV rights deal. Yep. And to make it up with a TV rights deal, they have to sell a pretty damn good story of what this thing is. Yep. Um, which they would have had a really hard doing time doing coming off of last year when they didn't produce anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now HQ has done this. Mm-hmm. They're remaking the documentary, so it's I think it's a little bit better of a story that they could sell to a network coming out of this past year, even though it was only five guys and five girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Um, let's maybe dive into the the week or the weekend itself. I'm curious, what were you surprised by uh, over the course of the week or the week that that maybe you didn't expect that you you know thought would go differently uh, or, or whatnot? Where, where did where were you surprised? Um, if at all, maybe you weren't, I think Eric Rose's leadership is kind of coming through a little bit. Mm. So the first thing is I, I, I'm surprised that the games happened. Mm. It's so easy for them to say no, like it's yep. not a, they did not make money off the games this year. Yep. I and mean, that's for sure. They did this for the athletes and for the community. And I'm really glad that they did because the athletes and the community both could really use something like this this year more so than ever. Agreed. So major hats off to them just for um, putting the effort in. The second part is the effort was put in. It was, I was afraid, I was just afraid. I was, it was, I was cautious of the fact that this might be just something that they just try to pull off. Yep. You know, it's so, been so easy for them just to do something. Something's better than nothing. But they didn't. They did this at a pretty big level. Um, you know, from transporting the athletes, the guys, five guys had their own full-size, I don't even know what they call it, luxury bus. Like one of those like <laughs> yep. really nice buses. And then five girls were on a separate bus. Like they very easily could have put all 10 athletes in a little like airport van. Yep. And, you know. But they didn't. They they did this fairly well. Um, other thing that they did very very well was the whole um, COVID precautions. Mm. We had our we had to get a uh, we had to get a negative test before we left. When we arrived, before we did anything, we had to get two negatives before. So we had to do two more tests. Yep. Um, and then from there, we had to have masks on all the time. We social distanced 
all the time, and we get our temperature taken multiple times throughout every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, um, and from there, once we got our first test taken, we were in a bubble. We had no access to the outside world. We were in our hotel room, or we were being transported by CrossFit HQ, or we were at the venue. Mm-hmm. And at the venue, they had um, everything spaced out, so it was limited social distance, masks on, all the other precautions. They did a really good job of making sure that this was not um, going to be detrimental to the coaches, the volunteers, the athletes, um, the HQ staff, or the CrossFit brand as a whole as being known as somebody like cause, you know, create a super spreader event. Um, so the responsibility they took on that end was really, really strong. Um, and then the, the next thing that surprised me was, um, if I'm being honest, it's probably one of our athletes. It's Sam, Sam Quant, Mm. you know, Sam, Sam was not on, I'll be honest. He was not on any of our radars going into this yeah. games. You know, we yep. knew Sam was a real good athlete. Yep. Um, but we did not realize he was the second fittest man in the world. Mm. Um, he's just, you know, what you see is what you get with Sam and he's super quiet. Um, we had Harry, um, go out and spend a couple weeks with Sam before the games at his house. And then, um, Harry was with him essentially 24 seven during the games. Um, and he was, you know, he's a silent assassin. He's the guy's a beast. So yeah. that was a that was a big surprise. Um, g- give us. There's it, a lot of surprises, and there's surprises in terms of programming. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of surprises. Yeah, give me give give us a quick sense or context for for Sam Quant because I yeah I think he you and everybody else perhaps uh, came into that games without the highest of expectations for him. He had been to the games once yeah. before. Is that correct? Sam is a multi – he's been to the games in multiple, multiple years. Times? He's been okay. he as a 19-year-old. He's only 24 now, and he's a multi-year games athlete. He yep. won heavy DT back in the day, so he can – he's a beast. Um, uh, heavy DT or double DT? Yeah, he won heavy DT um, back in the day. He's been a top 20 games athlete. Um, he should not have been missed on people's radar because um, – He's the real deal. Now, the thing is, he's only 24. He's just coming into his own. So, um, you know, he's really, he's growing. He's learning. Mm -hmm. Um, This is, uh, he's been with CompTrain for a couple of years um, and the couple of years under the belt like that. And he's, um, he's poised for a really strong future in the sport. He's got some holes that were exposed that we can continue to work on, but um, he is a incredible competitor. Um, he will pour everything he has and pain doesn't mean anything to him. Um, mm. it's just the, he realizes it's the price of admission. Like, yeah, you're competing at the CrossFit games. Every single workout is going to hurt. Like yep. we're not even going to talk about it because it's part of the deal. And he also recognizes that your pain threshold dictates a large part of how well you do. And he's willing to tap into that. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to win um, very badly, super competitive. And he's, um, he's not willing to, um, ease up to get the easy points. I know that sounds kind of weird, Mm. but it's really easy to be in second place behind Matt Fraser and go, well, I'm in second place. I'll take the second. Yep. Um, and he's not gonna do that. He's going to push for, for everything he's got. Mm -hmm. You, um, you kind of alluded to it, but I'm good. I was going to say, he's a, He's also a really nice guy. You know, he's a really, really nice guy. <laughs> yeah. You, you sort of alluded to it, but I'm curious how, 
How did CompTrain, how has CompTrain, how will CompTrain continue to adjust to this, this games, this season, everything that we're continuing to go through? Because up until this year, maybe, maybe, maybe it was up to last year with Amanda, when you thought about a comp train athlete, it was like, who is working directly with Ben? It's right. It's Kat. It's Broken. It's Cole. And now suddenly yep. it's also, oh, it's also Amanda Barnhart. And now it's also Sam Quant. I'm curious how you're yep. seeing your role, the role of comp train, how you're developing it so that it's, I don't want to say that so you can work with more people. Cause I don't know that that's the point, but, but simply so that you can uh, work with the kinds of athletes who you want to work with when maybe you yourself don't have the time or bandwidth specifically yeah. to work with them. Well, so that's actually one of the things that's been um, kind of morphing over the last year and will continue to morph um, over the next um, two or three years is my bandwidth. Um, yeah. My role is being, has been um, moving from running the day-to-day of CompTrain to being the head of CompTrain coaching. So mm. I am now working more with Katrin, Cole, Brooke than I ever have. I am working more with Harry, who coaches Sam yep. and Amanda more than I ever have. I am doing more for the programming that shows up on the CompTrain app every day than I ever have. Mm. So um, that actually is one of the things that has changed over the last 12 months is my involvement in the coaching side of things. Um, before, it was essentially um, – I ran the day-to-day at a high level, and then I coached um, Katrin, Cole, and Brooke. Yep. And there was a big gap between all the other stuff. Um, we've, we're growing up. We're learning. Um, we, have, we're, we have more resources available to us now than we have before. So we are trying to um, deliver a better product, both from um, what everyday athletes get through um, – uh, through an app and the customer experience that they get through talking with our coaches to what the, all the way up to what the, the super elites get. Yep. Um, and I'm, I used to, I used to only commit, um, you know, like two hours a day to Katrin. Um, and I would, um, and then when we got towards like May, that's when I would go like full time. Yep. And that's changing now is um, that's my full time job is the comp train head coach. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely happening. And then the other part is um, the maturation of our other coaches, mm-hmm. Dan and Harry specifically. Harry has been um, kind of my right-hand man um, starting way back in the day from CFE and um, training teams back then all the way back to like 2009. Um, he was on our team yep. uh, at the CrossFit Games in 2009 and has been a part of this thing all the way up. Um to now him, you know, having a few years under his belt of working with the, the, the best of the best in the sport. And then Dan is also, Dan is, a um, also been a growing coach on our staff that, um, is helping me. He's essentially assistant coach that was, uh, working on a one-on-one, um, high level basis with Brooke mm-hmm. over the last month leading up to the games. Mm-hmm. So he went, went out to work with Brooke during stage one of the online qualifier, um, went out to visit her in Nashville a couple of times and then, uh, was kind of like her, um, dedicated coach at the final stage of the, in Aromas. Yep. 
What does, you know, you said, you said that, you know, the business itself is kind of is maturing, which I think is interesting. And I'm, I'm curious, and maybe it's maybe maybe nothing this year particularly point, is pointing you in, in one direction or another. But I'm curious now that you, you know, you want to, you want to mature the business, which in large part is we want to mature the the level, let's say, of coaching that we're able to offer our elite athletes, where are you going to point those energies now, right? So it's your, you've literally got more time in the day to focus on it. You've got Harry, you've got Dan, you've probably got other folks on the team who are helping you, you know, Maya, for example. What does it look like? You know, we we consider, we look at it now, it's like they're, they're playing at a very, very high level now. And kind of what I'm hearing is they're playing at a high level with a coach who is a part-time coach, right? Or, or yeah. a support team that was yep. a part-time support team. What does it look like for both on the coaching side, but also on just the, the development side of the athletes when... You, when the team behind them has more energy, more attention, more ability to to focus on them, what do you think you're going to be able yeah, to so, do now? So, I I love CrossFit. Like I I love it. It's um, I love the sport. I love the community. I love the CrossFit Games. I think the CrossFit Games are one of the coolest sporting events in the world. Um, and I'm kind of a geek when it comes to sports. Like I used to watch every second of the Tour de France. Like I mm. just love the 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 multi day like crazy grind. test yeah the grindiness of yeah. the what this thing is is amazing to me um, I think so a couple of things is I love it so I want to um, see it grow yep and I want to be a part of that growth and I want to push the growth forward the next the next part of that is I see the potential for the growth, especially with someone like Rosa in charge. Mm. So I believe he's going to push for these big, massive TV deals, which then, you know, um, which the the former management at HQ was not so interested in. In fact, they went the opposite direction. They want nothing to do with the the production. Um, I think that this sport is on a trajectory similar to UFC. And I think that we could be in a similar path to where they are in five or six years. I think UFC has 10 years on us. So I want to be at the forefront of that kind of trailblazing what's um, how athletes train to become world champions. And right now, um, they're dedicating their lives to it. There's no question about that. They mm-hmm. are from sunup to sundown. They sleep, breathe, think. Every second of their day is dedicated towards being a, the best in the world. What I don't think has happened is I don't think the infrastructure around the athletes has caught up to that. I don't think the coaches are playing at a professional level just yet. Um, I don't think that the support structure around the athletes is at a professional level just yet. You think about like the way Tom Brady goes about his and what he has around him or LeBron James around him. Now, um, that might never happen, but maybe we get to where like Conor McGregor is around with the resources around him. And I'd like to help. The athletes in the sport get there. So part of what we're doing over this next year um, is using comp training to help push that forward a little bit. And one of the ways we'll do that is by having me be a full-time um, coach for the elite athletes. Um, with that, I help part of my roles and responsibilities is equally as important as developing the athletes is me developing my team, my the mm. other coaches, because it can't just be me. So I'm developing the other coaches and bringing them up to speed so they can 
um, help me with my athletes. Not necessarily so we get more athletes on board. Yeah. Um, we will grow that a little bit. Um, right now we work with like you know, the Fab Five. We talk. We call them. <laughs> you know, Cat, Cole, Amanda, Brooke, and Sam. Yep. Um, we might bring on another athlete. Maybe, maybe one, maybe two more this year. I could see us in um, two or three years having you know um, six to eight really high level elite athletes, but working with a development team of mm. another 10 athletes that are kind of on the cusp of making it to the games and using kind of a feeder system. And then, um, you know, working with a, a youth development program, to kind of feed into that, that program, um, you know, building a, uh, a facility that supports these guys, you know, so we can do all the things we need to do, um, just for them, not inside an affiliate, but like for them, um, with all the recovery tools, the the specialists from body workers to uh, different coaches, mm. and really try to professionalize the way that people approach and train for for the games. Um, you mentioned something that I, I wanted to ask you about, which you mentioned a couple times now. Sam being twenty four, um, Justin being so so young, Haley being so young. What did you see maybe the, last weekend? as it relates to the future of the games that was maybe just more, more pronounced simply because there were only 10 athletes there. So it was impossible to avoid that at least three of them. And I don't know, obviously everybody's age, but three of them right there are under 25. What did that tell you about the potential of the athletes, the potential of the sport? Where, where do you think, um, what do you think the, 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 the um, ceiling is for performance. If somebody like, you know, like Haley is performing at such a high level at 19. Yeah. Um, so I, I still think that the, the peak kind of age for a CrossFit athlete is 26, 27. Mm. Um, and there's a three year um, um, opportunity on either ends of that. So if you call it 26, like 23 to 26 is kind of the, the really good years. And then 26 to 29 with 26 being the peak, um, very similar to like a, a football player. It's a very similar, uh, lifespan with the average CrossFit games athlete having two, probably two years, maybe three of, um, of a career, which is the same as the NFL 2.5 years or something like mm. that, which is really interesting. I was actually listening to Dave on a podcast and I think he spoke to this, maybe it was Savon or somebody that, um, they're like that, just so everybody knows, that's not a career. Mm. <laughs> like if you have a stop off for two and a half years, you're not your your time in the NFL was not your NFL career. <laughs> that was a little yeah. stop off you had between school and your career. What you do after yeah. that is actually your career. It's really interesting because a lot of people point to HQ not creating enough opportunities for athletes in our sport. And when you put our sport up against other sports, it is just the opposite of that. They have way more opportunities than most other athletes do. So I, I alluded to UFC. My understanding mm. is the UFC title um, um, headline matches, meaning the last match of the night, the winner of those matches gets $12,000. Mm. Unless you're like a Conor McGregor or you're a top, unless you're fighting for the belt, yep. Um, if you're a headliner in a normal, you get $12,000. Well, that's less than sanctioned event winners get. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, so we're providing more opportunities for people like that. And what um, um, Dana White has said is the UFC is not a career. It's an opportunity. Mm. 
I think that's very similar to what we have in our sport. It's like, you, this is not a career. Like if you want to do this and you want to do it a lot, you probably still need to be a coach or wait tables or um, be a chiropractor on the side. Unless you take this opportunity to be a top five games athlete. And those guys are making careers out of this. And the mm -hmm. top ones are making incredible careers. Like Matt, Tia, Katrin, they're, they're set. They're, they're doing really well. Mm -hmm. But for everybody else, the whining and the bickering of like HQ is not doing enough for the athletes. Like we need um, more earning potential. We need all – it's – man, especially moving away from regionals to the sanctioned events. Like that's no longer an argument in my mind. Mm. You have the opportunity and it's open to everybody. If you have 20 bucks, you can sign up for the open and you can compete against everyone else in the world and you can get yourself to the CrossFit Games. And for that, you have an opportunity if you want to. It's he or she who trains the hardest. Mm -hmm. So – um, I don't even remember what your original question was, but, <laughs> uh, about the, the, the athletes who are so young and still competing at such a high level. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, so what is the future of the sport showing that, um, um, Justin was 21 and Haley is 19 and what's the likelihood of them kind of, um, I don't think much has changed because of that. Yeah. I, I really don't. I think that, um, we've had phenomenal 21 year olds, Brooke Wells, um, was 21 years old. Now she wasn't on the podium, but she was 21, kind of really a, a serious player in the sport. Ben Smith was 19, a major player in the sport. So that's been done before. I think that to your question, which is a great one is what does that mean for the future of our sport? Completely unknown. And if we were to rewind, um, just six short years ago, what the athletes were doing then, I mean, the kind of the 2007 event, that opened up the CrossFit Games this year is kind of um, tells the story very well. Yeah, the first MetCon at the CrossFit Games in 2007 was um, a thousand meter row and five rounds for time with 21 pull-ups and jerks. They redid that workout in 2000 and I think it was 15, and every single athlete beat the first place athlete from 2007. Mm -hmm. So the entire field is now better than the very best from just seven short years ago. Well, now we're essentially seven years after that, call it six, whatever it is. And they have to change the workout completely because that's not even more, of a, it's not even a valid test anymore. They now <laughs> right. have to do with bar muscle ups and much heavier weights in a longer row just to keep it the same level of stimulus and test. It just shows the growth of what we're doing. Just think about in terms of the distance that the athletes used to run. The opening run, trail run at the games was a 5K. Mm -hmm. Then they went back in 2016 and they did a 7K. They went from five to seven. They went back this year and did a 10K. Mm. So it's like five, seven, 10. To keep the stimulus the same, that's what the growth of the sport is happening. You look at what the, the, the snatch weights were in 2009, the winning snatch on the female side, I think was 140 pounds. I think Tanya Wagner did it. I think you're right. Um, I think it was 140, maybe 145 pounds. The opening weight in the ladder this year was 145 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's the opening weight in a speed ladder. <laughs> That's the lightest of nine weights that they went through. So the only at only one athlete could lift it back then. And now that's the opening weight of ascending weights all the way through nine more barbells this year. So it's um the the where this is going to be in five or seven years, 
and to your point, yes, with the likes of people like Justin and Haley pushing it from the front, um, is is a completely unknown, honestly. Yeah. For the first time this year, we actually saw people do the um, sub five minute mile run and the plus 500 pound back squat in the same day, including 50 pull ups. Which the 50 pull ups isn't even a thing anymore. It's like, yeah. you know, that's like that shouldn't even be. It should be. I actually think that should be 50 strict handstand push ups. I think that'd be a better. Mm. If you want to throw in a body weight thing in there, I think that's a better um, test because mm-hmm. now like everybody worth their salt can do 50 pull-ups now. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting to see where the sport goes in the next few years. Mm. Cool. Uh, starting to wrap up, I'm really curious, what lessons are you and the team there? And, you know, and I include, uh, you know, Catherine Brooke and all, you know, the athletes as well. What lessons are you guys trying to pull out of this? I know you do a lot of, um, and I don't know if you've, you know, and we're, we're still pretty close to it. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to sit down and really, uh, explore, the entire weekend and what happened and and all that stuff. But I'm curious as best you can, like what lessons are you going to try to pull out of this, this year to feed where your attention goes, where your efforts go in in the, in the next year between, uh, between this games and next. Yeah. Um, so we're now four days away from the games, um, games end on Sunday. It's Thursday. Um, I've done the review with my team. Um, but not with my athletes. So with yep. the coaches, um, and what we pull out of those lessons and the review is, um, mostly athlete specific. Mm-hmm. So it is, what does this athlete need? What is their opportunities? Where are their weaknesses? What are things that we should be leaning into for this coming year? What we don't do much of is, I don't want to train for last year's games. Yeah. I think that's a mistake a lot of people make is they train for what the test was. Mm -hmm. What you want to do is try to figure out what you think the test is going to be, which is an impossible task, but train towards that. So you go, oh my gosh, we have to, there was running in five events this year. We need to do so much more running. Well, okay. Then we go back to Madison and they do two running events. Like, ah, so you try to, you try to program towards what you believe the test is going to be, um, not what the test was. Now, there's obviously trends within the sport and you try to figure that out as well. Um, You know, whether it's um, new things that have popped up. So like the first year we ever swam, it's like, oh, okay, now we swim. And the first year we ever did actual biking, not just assault biking, like on a bicycle. It's like, okay, we bicycle, that has to be thrown in the mix. so there are things that we learn across the way, but um, we try really hard to um, take the totality. And really the, what we should look at is the last three or four years of games program. Early, early games, again, I said, is like, it's not even valid tests anymore. And the, the games themselves, Dave learned so much year over year that there's some that have been kind of like thrown to the scrap heap and we will not see again. Yep. Um, and then, you know, there are other ones that you're like, I think this is kind of the trend that we're going in, yep. um, kind of working towards that. And then you kind of also, I mean, honestly, you kind of go like, all right, what did they not test this year mm. that they normally do that are probably likely to show up? Um, and we have that list as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Last question uh, that I know is kind of a loaded question, but uh, intentionally so. Are you satisfied with the results from this year's games? Are you, 
dissatisfied? Are you um, somewhere in between? Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in between. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think most coaches are ever satisfied. Mm, yeah. Satisfied to me is like, kind of like did it done, like recipe for complacency. Um, but am I happy? If that's a, if that's the right word. And yes, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with the way my athletes performed. Um, but it's really hard to not see all of the room for potential growth going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm sure that Matt and Tia are thinking the same exact thing. As dominating a performance as they had, they're walking away from this year's games going like, I can get better at X, Y, and Z. And I know that's the case. Um, and for us, you know, who, you know, we finished um, second, second, fifth, sixth, and 20th, um, there's plenty of room for growth. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thank you, my friend. Thank you to everybody out there listening. Uh, thank you to everybody who leaves ratings and reviews and who sends us questions. And we will be back next week on another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at